Good morning, Solano. My name is Jim, and I'm reading to you the scripture for our message today. It comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 8. You can read along. I think the words will be behind me as well. And if you see the English Bible in the chair in front of you, it's on page 747. A little bit over halfway through the book of Zechariah. Chapter 8, verse 1. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the fateful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is the promise and the word of God. Amen. I've got to lower this or you're not going to see me. Oh, Lord, would the uh, words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock, and you are our redeemer. You continue to be that for us, and we are grateful. So meet us in these words, these beautiful words today we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one of the things that, you know, we're enjoying as things open up is the blessing of being able to get away, to go on a vacation, right? How many are in need of a vacation today. Raise your hand. Yeah, pretty much 100%. <laughs> Some of you pointing to other people you know are in need of a vacation. That's good. Um, I was going to ask, where are some of the places over the last two years that you didn't go? Just call them out. Germany, Germany wow. Hawaii, right? Slovenia, Slovenia? wow. New York, these are these are places you were hoping to go, but you didn't that you couldn't go. Houston, Japan, Italy, Canada. Oh, these are all wonderful places, especially Canada, um, since I was born there. Yosemite, yeah. Um, you know, we as a family have tried to spread out our vacations so that we time it so that. We, we won't be on empty when we go on to the vacation. We'll be just a little bit left in the tank. You know, when you get to empty, it's like, then you got to walk to the gas station, right? Uh, and so uh, we, we try to time that. And, um, uh, you know, uh, we, we did that recently. And, and I was thinking, uh, we have a vacation coming up. I was thinking, oh, this is great. I think I'm going to make it just right to vacation and we'll be able to take off and uh, I won't be on empty, and it'll be, it'll be great. Um, and uh, 
a couple, I had two weeks left and a pretty packed schedule. Um, we leave tomorrow. And, um, and I got a phone call in these last two weeks. Last week, uh, in, in, within 24 hours, I was asked to officiate in two funerals that would be taking place within four days. Um, now, funerals are, 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 I would say as a pastor, one of the sweetest, most amazing uh, opportunities that I get because here we are reflecting and thinking on a, a person's entire life, somebody made in the image of God. Um, and so there is no way I'm going to mail it in when it comes to uh, officiating a funeral. Um, and so we did that. Um, and it was, uh, again, I'm so humbled and honored to be able to be a part of that. But you know how the drill goes, right? Um, you uh, you get an extra project thrown on, on your docket, your agenda, just as you're, you're hoping to go to vacation on a vacation, or you get, you get um, you know, a, a challenge that you didn't expect comes on, a, a few crucial conversations for me, uh, you know, a couple of sermons in a row, and, uh, and pretty soon, you're not feeling like you're on, you know, just coming to the end, that you're getting closer and closer to empty. And that's the moment. And this is, this is, what, this is what this is all leading to. Um, and I know you have all been in this place. That is the moment when you start to daydream about your vacation, right? When you're sitting at your desk or wherever it is that you work and suddenly you get this picture of yourself sitting in Hawaii or Houston or Italy or Japan or any of the other places that you called out uh, and you're free from the cares of life and you are able to replenish your tanks and you start to daydream about those moments. Well, the passage that Jim read for us today is really like that moment when as you're coming to the end or you're feeling the tank is depleting, you begin to daydream about a different place. And the vision of the vacation or the vision in this case that God gives to the people of Israel is what holds you in those last moments as you're making your way towards it, right? So here you are and, you know, things aren't the way that you expected they would be. And in the case of Israel, um, that's true. Uh, and, and you're moving towards something that you're looking forward to and you begin to daydream about it. We're going to take off tomorrow. We're going to set the phones aside and let the emails pile up. And we're going to get out in nature. And then the best thing of all, we're going to see our son in Boise and give him a big hug. And I'm daydreaming about that moment. Well, the Israelites were in a situation, a context in which things were not the way that they had hoped they would be. And they needed a vision to hold them. They needed a vision to hold them. And here in Zechariah 8, verses 1 through 8, we have uh, that vision which was read for us. And I want to take the moments that we have to kind of work through it briefly. And there's three things that, three questions really I want to ask of this text. As we try to allow this text to become that vision that holds us through the peaks and valleys of life as we 
move forward individually and collectively. So the three questions I want to ask are the, the what of the vision. What is this vision? The why of the vision. Why does God give this vision? And then lastly, the when of the vision that holds us. So let's dive right in. We're going to need to move fairly quickly, so um, you'll need to listen quickly. Um, Zechariah has a, a vision for the future. This is under the question, what is the vision that holds us? And like my vision for vacation, it's meant to carry them through this present time, which is not meeting the expectations that they have for life, the, the, the possibilities that they envision. The vision is to, is to carry them through. Uh, and, and the question uh, of when it will happen is important. We'll get to that. But first of all, what is it? So walk with me just briefly through this text and think about the different aspects and elements. What are the hallmarks of this vision that Zechariah gives to the people of God, to Israel? The first one is that will God will dwell in their midst. We've talked about this uh, almost every week throughout our study of the book of Zechariah, this is a huge theme, perhaps the key theme in the book of Zechariah. And it's all wrapped up in this concept of rebuilding the temple because the meaning of the temple is the presence of God in the midst of the people and they're seeking to rebuild the temple to re-essentially establish connection with the Lord. And the first thing that it says is that God will dwell in their midst. That's the first component of this vision. And as we've been saying, this is the greatest thing in life to have the presence of God in your life. And let me just say, if you're with us today, uh, either here in the room or online, and you are uncertain that you have the presence of God in your life, I want to just briefly uh, articulate how it is that we can be certain that we have the presence of God in our life. And it's all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, entering into our world to live a perfect sinless life, to, to demonstrate what it actually means to live according to the plan that God gave us, and then to go to the cross and offer himself a perfect atoning sacrifice for sin. Because sin is the thing that breaks our relationship with God, that keeps us far from God, that makes it so that God can't be in our midst. Sin is the thing. And Jesus is the one who overcomes that sin. And so if we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, then what the Bible teaches is that we are now reconnected to God. Our sin has been dealt with. There's no barrier between us and God. And God is present in a special way. And there's a beautiful blessing that comes from that. It's called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We get filled with the Holy Spirit who helps us by gradual process to learn to live more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ in the plan that God has for us. So if you're uncertain if God's present with you, then the question to grapple with is, who do you make of Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And if the answer is yes, then God is with you. That's the teaching of Scripture. All right, so let's move quickly then through these other beautiful blessings that come out of this vision. They will be faithful. The people of God will be faithful to God. So Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. That ongoing disconnect between our decisions and the Lord's will for us will finally be taken care of. 
We will, we will want to do the things that God wants us to do. And it'll be this beautiful union. But it won't be like we're robots. It's like it'll be coming out of us. That's the vision of faithful Israel. And the city will be called the mountain of the Lord, the holy mountain. A mountain is the epitome of stability in the New Testament, in the Bible, even beyond that. The mountain signifies stability. In other words, this vision that God is bringing forth, it you know, cannot be thwarted. He will make it happen. And once it happens, nothing will be able to move it because it will be the mountain of the Lord. Nothing will derail it. And then we get into some specifics here that are beautiful. Old men and old women will sit in the streets. In other words, it will be safe. Because people, you know, with canes who can't run very quickly will be able to take up their place in the street without fear of being chased off. And kids will be playing in the streets. The the streets will be full of boys and girls running and laughing and shouting in joy, standing under the, the, the broken fire hydrants as they dance and frolic in the warmth of the moment. I added the fire hydrant part. It's not there in the scripture. And they'll see that the people uh, have been gathered from all over, from east and west. All different kinds of people will be gathered together in this vision. And the beauty will overwhelm you and you will be tempted to say, wow, this is too marvelous to be real. But in fact, it will be real because it won't be too marvelous for the Lord and he will call you my people on the one hand this is a fairly simple vision right and many parts of it we might actually experience in our lives today and and that's kind of I think part of the romance of it because much of what we love about the world we inhabit now is going to be with us into eternity. Much of the beauty, the simple beauties of children playing in the street and old people being safe in the street, the coming of generations and people from east and west, the simple beauty of that touches some core longing within us. These things are the signs of what God is preparing in the future. This Friday morning, however, though, I listened to reporter uh, Leila Fadel, who was in Kiev, Ukraine, explain the scene there. She commented on what she was seeing. She said, there's a sound missing in Kiev. The sound of children. Every playground we pass in the capital is empty. Since the start of Russia's war on Ukraine, more than half of this country's children have been displaced. But through the gates of Ukraine's largest children's hospital, one car after another rolls in, tagged with the word children, a plea to Russian forces not to strike, not to shoot. In the lobby of the hospital, medical staff unpack diapers, medicine, food, and toys, right? Kids, kids are supposed to be playing in the streets, not hunkering down in hospitals and healing from shrapnel wounds. 
There's something wrong with the world we inhabit. It's not the vision that's embedded in our minds. It's not supposed to be like this. And there are a lot of moments in life when we think it's not supposed to be like this. The Israelites looking uh, at their condition thought to themselves, it's not supposed to be like this. And this text, in this text, God is saying two things to them and he's saying it to us because you have those moments too. When you look at your life, when you look at your broken relationships, when you look at the things that have gone wrong, when you look at the struggles on the news, when you look at, just fill in the blank, right? You say to yourself, it's not supposed to be like this. So what God is saying to the Israelites here, he's saying to you also. Two things, he's saying, you're right. You're not crazy. It's not supposed to be like this. And the second thing he's saying, it won't always be like this. It won't always be like this. One day it won't be this. One day the world will be as it should be. And what is the point of God saying all of this to us today. What is the point of the, Zechari- the vision that comes through Zechariah to the people of Israel? What is the point of us spending this time today thinking about it? Because God wants this vision to hold you right now. He wants it to hold you through the peaks and the valleys of your life and the unique twists and turns that come with it. That's why we have it. That's what God is saying. But let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's ask the question on another level, why? And before I do that, let me make one more comment about, uh, if you go back one slide, I want to make one more comment about this. You know, I think sometimes when we see this vision, we say to ourselves, well, that couldn't be, and there's a disconnect. And I had a thought this week that might be helpful. It's an interesting topic. How do we connect with something that we can't see? And I remember before the pandemic seeing various news um, reports where it would articulate that something like a pandemic could happen, but I just never really connected with the actual possibility of it, right? And then it happened. And I found myself pinching myself, wait, is this really happening? Could something like this really take place? And the answer was what? Yes, it happened, right? So when you think about, now let's let's talk about the vision of God, right? Which which sometimes seems so far off. We, We have that same thing where we say, could that really happen? And because we haven't seen it yet, we allow ourselves to be disconnected from the possibility of it. But in the same way, the pandemic, which we thought was impossible, became real. This opposite result, beautiful vision, this is not a pandemic award, this is the the vision of heaven, just as we thought this was impossible, it can become real. And it will. All right, why is God giving us this vision? Why is there a vision that holds us? Uh, this is sort of the deeper question. Why will it be true? And the answer is simply because God loves you. 
God loves you. That's why this vision will become true. Because of his great love for us. That's what verses 1 and 2 are essentially saying. I know it uses language that we're not familiar with. It seems strange to us. But let me read, it, read verses 1 and 2 again. Zechariah 8, 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion. Zion stands in for the people of God there for his, and the place uh, related to the people of God. I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. And I am jealous for her with great wrath. And sometimes wrath, you know, is against sin. In this case, because of the context of it, the wrath is really, it's kind of a protective anger. It's, it's a wrath to make sure that nothing will come against his people. Now, let's back up a second. Well, what is a host? A host, this is important. A host is a multitude. And in this case, um, we're talking about a multitude of heavenly or angelic beings who are enlisted in the service of God. So it's not just God saying this, but it's God with all of his host arrayed behind him, which extends endlessly out from him. All of the angelic spiritual beings. So God is saying it and they're all backing him up as if he needed backup. But he's just saying, he's just showing us. It's this amphitheater of heaven which is making this comment making this statement about God's great love for us because the people don't feel safe because the the threats of the nations around them are still looming over them the vision hasn't been realized yet and they're afraid that these other powerful nations are going to come crashing in on them and so there's the Lord with all of his hosts the CSB translate this the Lord of armies which in some ways is, is a more accurate, tr- accurate translation, although it sounds a little bit strange. We don't talk that way. But we don't use the word host. When's the last time you used the word host either? So we're trying to, we're trying to grasp things that are hard. They stretch our minds here. And the nature of God's posture, which is in the two parts of these verses towards his people, it's, it's described in really strong words. I'm jealous, God says, for you. I'm jealous, and they're, they're, it's interesting that the word is there twice, and I'm jealous with a jealousy, I'm jealous with jealousy, and then I'm jealous with wrath. And, and I think the way we think about those two pieces of it, I'm jealous with a love that is intended to keep you and hold you in, and I'm jealous with a love that will protect you from the threats from without. So it's a keeping love and a protective love. I've been thinking about Psalm 23 a lot. And and there's maybe a little connection when David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod keeps the sheep in place, right? And the staff is for when a, a beast is coming to attack the sheep. And the staff is used to beat off that beast. So just like a shepherd who keeps you, And protects you from without. God is saying, I love you with that kind of love. And his burning focus is on his people. And his awesome strength is on protecting them from outside attack. He's a mighty warrior who fights for the one he loves. Look at some other passages. Uh, Isaiah 42, 13. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. 
He cries out, he shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Isaiah 59, 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. What makes this even somewhat more remarkable is that in the passage we just read last week, the people of God demonstrated themselves to be fickle in their relationship, right? Their fasting was for themselves. And here in the very next passage, God says, despite your fickle love for me, I love you with a covenant, unshakable kind of love. That's what this text is saying. All his splendor and power and might, creator of the universe, awesome father, he's put all his sights on you. His sights on you. All that awesomeness loving you. Been in a lot of isolation and and loss and challenges over these last two years. And maybe the simple message that some of us need to hear this morning is that God loves you. That's what's going to bring you out of the funk. That's what's going to bring you out of the loss. That's what's going to bring you out of the struggles. It's not this being tweaked or that being tweaked or more money or more this or that. I don't even know. It's God's love. And here you have it. So rest in that truth and let it minister deeply into your soul. Let that vision hold you. The vision that holds you holds us comes out of a love that holds us. Lastly, when will it come? Well, for the original hearers, there would presumably have been you know, some version of this in their, in their season. Um, the temple was finished two years uh, after the time in which Zechariah is preaching this vision. And then Nehemiah would come along and, and the walls, you know the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls. And so the vision of this text would be realized on, in some measure in Israel in that time, in Jerusalem in that time. But of course, as we know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't the full vision. It wasn't complete. It wasn't the, 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 the ultimate fulfillment of the picture that we seem to have in this text. And so there was and there is still a version of this vision that is to come. And if you heard me talk about, you know, heaven, um, which we do a lot here, uh, if you heard me talk about it, you heard me quote Revelation 21. I'm tempted to do that again right now, but I'm not going to do it because I actually think I've overdone it. I don't think there's any text I've quoted almost more than Revelation 21. Um, but it's an interesting question. Revelation 21 is the, is the vision of heaven, right? It's an interesting question of how you stay connected to this vision amidst a world that often feels so different than what is articulated here in this text, right? And this is maybe why God deposits so many different creative articulations of the heavenly vision throughout all of scripture. There are different metaphors and images uh, that, that, that describe 
the beauty and the glory. And they, all of them are stretched to the nth degree and they never can quite get you all the way there. But they're meant to be a collage of pictures that, full, that fill your imagination. So when the actual world that you see doesn't match up to the world that is supposed to be, you can draw strength from that context that vision that you have that God has deposited in you through his word. There's another way that we can connect into this vision, a third way, just briefly, and that is that we're getting foretastes of it even now. When Jesus told us to to, to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, basically what he's saying is wherever the will of God is being done, then the kingdom is present. So we get tastes of the fulfillment now as by God's grace, we begin to live into the vision of the heavenly kingdom when we do the will of God. So we get tastes of that now. That helps us as well. That helps us to move forward. But we still gotta hold on to this ultimate vision. Let me finish with this thought. Imagine you're in an airplane and you're flying home and you fall asleep and you're a deep sleeper and some time passes by and you are in completely a different world. You're, you're, you're not present on the airplane anymore. Suddenly some turbulence comes and you wake up. I want you to think about that little moment when you wake up and you're completely disoriented. You do not know where you are. There is a very, very loud noise. You're falling. You have the sensation of falling. And somebody's drooling on your shoulder. (laughs) And you just don't know where you are in that moment. But as you come to, you realize, oh, I'm in an airplane. And the loud noise is normal because it means the powerful jets are propelling me towards home. And the shaking is normal. Happens all the time and, 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 and most of the time it means you're not gonna die. And oh yeah, that person I remember we talked when we first got on the plane, it's fine if they're drooling. Uh, maybe you don't, I don't, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I think too much of the time we live in that moment of disorientation before we realize where we are. And what this passage is saying is remember, you're on your way home. Things are gonna be shaky. Sometimes it's really loud. But God is taking you home. He promised that underscored it, highlighted it, underlined it at this table through the work of Jesus Christ represented here. Jesus, when he was with the disciples, he wanted them to know that larger context, that framework in which their life was unfolding. So he said, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Body represented that powerful giving of himself we talked about earlier. Um, 
that willingness um, to be broken for our sake. Same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He was willing to shed his blood to make possible that reunited with God the Father so that this vision we've been talking about can become a reality. This is an important day to take communion if you're able to. So I encourage you to go back and uh, grab a cup if you didn't get one. And uh, we're gonna take just a, a few moments here to share in this time. And Lord, I just pray as we open these cups and take communion together that you would meet us um, in a powerful way to um, underscore your love for us this morning and that the depth and the strength of your love manifest in the person of Jesus Christ would help us to hold on to and to be held by the vision that comes out of Zechariah, but that's really there throughout the entire scriptures, the vision that holds us in the midst of a life that oftentimes doesn't meet our expectations or what we think should be when we say, this is not how it's supposed to be. Thank you for holding us. In Christ's name, amen.